Good morning. It's good to see my church family here today. Beth Troutman sees the uh, screen up there, the sermon title today, and she says, how much? How much am I worth? There's one in every crowd, isn't there? I got to tell you that this morning is kind of a dangerous message, and it's dangerous for at least two reasons, maybe more that I haven't thought of. Number one, the theme of this morning's message definitely goes against the grain of our culture, but not just that. It goes against the grain of our flesh, of our selfishness, and it goes against the grain of a lot of our church culture too. Until we really understand this and accept this as true, today's theme makes our flesh squirm. It makes us a little bit, or maybe a lot, uncomfortable. Even when we do accept this, it can challenge us because it doesn't come to any of us naturally. It only comes supernaturally. What today's message is, is not about my body, my choice. It's not about gay pride. These are today's cultural values that we see. Also, it's not about your best life now. It's not you can have what you say. It's not prosperity. The choice is yours. Now, ironically, these are not secular book titles, but they might as well be. This is the idea of having what we want pseudo-sanctified by segments of the church. Now, Jim Garrett touched on this last week, the idea in our culture that we can be what we want. We can do what we want regardless of the facts, regardless of the impact on other people of what we want, and regardless of what's right and what's wrong, what the Word of God tells us about sin and righteousness. One writer called our current culture one that values not just doing whatever is right in our own eyes, as Scripture said, but radical autonomy. I think that's an interesting phrase, and I think it does capture a lot of what our culture is about today. This is the source of a lot of the steep divide. Anybody happen to notice that there's a big divide in our culture, that everybody's battling with everybody else? I think this is the key root of this divide. The new immorality now is any act of so-called intolerance that supposedly interferes with this radical autonomy. In other words, being intolerant of this radical autonomy, really it's about the worst thing that you can do today if you're intolerant of the radical autonomy. Autonomy means self-directing freedom and especially moral independence. Our culture values this above everything else. Radical autonomy is autonomy on steroids. Now, however, this morning's message is the polar opposite, the complete opposite extreme of radical autonomy. And it's an idea that once we grasp this idea in our spirit, once we accept it as God's truth, it's not only not troubling, but it's very freeing. In fact, one author called it a better freedom. It's one of those things in Scripture that is a paradox. Now, the second reason today's message is a dangerous thing is that the theme of this message is the life theme of the guy who literally wrote the book on this. A man who signs his correspondence with your fellow slave, who seeks every day to live this out obediently like a slave in the things of life as well as in the bigger things and the little things of life. 
course, I'm speaking about my fellow elder, Jim Garrett, whose book, The Doulos Principle, has been very formative in my Christian life. And I know also in many of the lives of some of us here, it's been formative, it's been influential. By the way, next week, we're going to highlight this a little bit more fully. We'll explain how this works. But Jim's book, The Doulos Principle, is now available as an Amazon Kindle title. And we're going to have a five-day sale the following week during which the Kindle book is free. And more details about how that works next week. It's a book everybody here should read if you haven't read it yet. And if you've read it once, it's worth reading again. I read it in preparation for this message this week. That's about the fourth time that I've read this book. But Jim will be the first one to deflect credit for any true life changes, any formative influence that comes from this book. Because, of course, this is a theme in the Word of God. And it's accessible to all of us, and it's not just Jim's idea. In his book, Jim just highlights that fact. He calls our attention to this often missed truth. The truth is missed for some of the reasons we already mentioned, like radical autonomy. It's missed by the world because the world is a slave to sin. It's often missed by Christians too, but it's right here in your Bibles. In just one of the hundreds of places we see it is on the cover of your bulletin this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. The end of chapter 19 says, you are not your own. The beginning of verse 20 says, for you were bought with a price. So this morning I want to spend some time exploring the implications of the reality that you are, as a believer in Christ, you are, we are, I am not my own. That I am bought with a price. We cannot avoid the clear message here, and as we move along we'll see how clearly this is presented in Scripture. People who are bought with a price are owned. Think about that. People who are bought with a price are slaves. Yes, this can be a very uncomfortable truth. That's because in our minds we immediately associate slavery with a couple of things. And one of the first things we associate it with in our minds is the African-American slave trade, a truly evil and sinful part of our American history and that of Europe as well. We are rightly appalled by this piece of our history. It seems clear to me that much of the racial divide that still exists in America today is the long-term fruit of that terrible institution. But more recently, more and more of us are also very much aware of the reality that we don't have to go back in time to the day of the African-American slave trade to face the brutality of slavery. According to one estimate, there are more slaves today 27 million than there were in 400 years of the transatlantic slave trade. Now, when we understand the realities of different times, when we understand the different forms of slavery, we realize that the Roman institution of slavery, of being a bondservant or a slave, was different from the institution of slavery in North America during the 17th through the 19th centuries. Roman-era slaves, for example, were generally permitted to work for pay, and to save enough to buy their freedom. Not that this slavery was a good thing, so don't misunderstand me, but it was just different in many ways, in many ways we won't take the time to go into this morning. Also, both the Old Testament and the New Testament assume 
that trafficking in human beings is a sin. For example, if you look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10, that's one example of a verse where we see the word enslavers. Some versions might say kidnappers. Others say men-stealers or slave traders. But whatever, however it's translated, it's classified as a sin with a whole list of other sins. So the image of slavery in our minds is a very difficult one for us to wrap our minds around. And it's harder still for us to identify with this image in any kind of positive way. But here's the truth this morning, folks. We must wrestle with this truth. And we must, as believers in Christ, identify with this image if we are to rightly divide the word of truth. As many of us know, perhaps because we first learned it from Jim's book, the Greek word for slave is doulos. In Scripture, doulos is often translated according to the context as servant or as bondservant, a little bit stronger phrase, or some places it's translated as slave. But the literal meaning of the word is slave. One Bible dictionary of do, uh, definition of doulos is this. A slave, one who is in a permanent relation of servitude to another, his will being altogether consumed in the will of the other. Think about that phrase for a minute. The slave's will, that is, being altogether consumed in the will of the other. In other words, the master. This is where we begin to see how this applies to us when you think about that. Jim points out in his book, The Doulos Principle, that the word doulos is used in the New Testament 125 times. And in almost every instance, almost every single instance of that word, it refers to the relationship between believers and God. There's only one other term in the New Testament that's used more often to describe believers, and that's disciple. But here's another interesting and important fact from Scripture. Most of the time... Doulos is the term that believers throughout the New Testament use to describe themselves. That's the important question for us today to ponder, to consider. Can we see ourselves as being owned? Can we accept that we are not our own? That we, in fact, as Scripture tells us, are bought with a price. We are God's property. We are his own possession. And lest we think this is just a New Testament truth, let's consider this, written about the Jews in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. So can we accept, can we even embrace all that this truth means in our lives as followers, as slaves of Christ. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. If we do accept this, if we do embrace this, it becomes one of those paradoxical truths that we find so often in Scripture. To find our lives, we must lose our lives in Him. To be truly free, we must be his slaves. Another great book on the theme of doulos was written by Michael Card, a Christian singer and writer, and he wrote this in this book. The book was titled A Better Freedom, Finding Life as Slaves of Christ. 
And he wrote about these paradoxes. He wrote, in order to become rich, you must become poor. In order to become mature, you must rediscover your own childlikeness. In order to become wise, you must embrace the foolishness of the gospel. In Jesus, life comes through death, and the only true freedom comes from slavery to him. He came to turn the world upside down, to shatter all of our definitions and images, and to fulfill them. The fundamental mysteries of following Jesus are always rooted in paradox. The freedom of slavery is a paradoxical freedom, just as the crucified life is a paradoxical living. Amen? We see the Word of God is filled with this reality of God's ownership of His people. (coughs) Excuse me, in Leviticus 25, verse 42, the reason God gives for forbidding that His people be sold as slaves is not that they're supposed to be free, but rather that they're His slaves. Can't sell what belongs to me. That's the idea there. Paul often referred himself to himself as the doulos of Christ. Scholars count between 33 and 57 parables in the New Testament, depending on how you define a parable. And of those, almost half contain a slave or a slave-type character. Two things we see in Jesus' parables are applicable to our theme of doulos this morning. And the first one is identification. When people heard Jesus' stories as parables, they would inevitably find themselves identifying. They find themselves identifying with someone in the story. (coughs) Excuse me. We see that slaves are to be obedient to their Lord. We see that slaves lived under his unquestioned authority. And the slaves in these stories are living parables of what it means to submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ, his ownership. The slaves, think about it, virtually had no rights at all, no expectations. They couldn't make any demands. They provided the perfect illustration for us of what a slave of Christ could expect as the practical outworking of acknowledging that Jesus is their Lord and their master. I'll get through it, folks. Hopefully my voice will too. Beyond the parables, we see some of the great figures of the faith who immediately recognized this truth. Let's think about Mary, for example. When the angel told her that she would bear the Christ child, conceived by the Holy Spirit, she immediately recognized her position, and she immediately recognized to whom she belonged. We read in Luke Chapter 1, verse 38, and Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. The translation that I just read said servant, but the word is dule. It's a female slave. Simeon, who saw the infant Christ at the temple, said this in Luke 2, 29, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Again, the word servant there is doulos, literally slave. 
Think about this too. Simeon kind of served as a bridge between the Old Testament promises and God's fulfillment of those promises in the New Testament. In Simeon's world, the Old Testament understanding, faith was expressed by waiting on God to act on his promises. In the New Testament world, with the coming of Jesus, faith is expressed by following Christ. And not just by following, but by following as a slave obediently. So we see this paradoxical truth. We see it in Scripture and we see how challenging that it really is. And it's more so when we consider the practical outgrowth. What does it mean in our everyday lives for the fact that we are slaves? As Jim points out in his book, we have to think about what it meant to be a slave, what it meant to live in daily life as a slave. We've already highlighted one of those things. Being a doulos of Christ means that our perspective on life not only questions, but more often actually contradicts contemporary values not just of our culture, sometimes even of church people. We're fish out of water in our world. We just are. Or as Scripture describes it, we're strangers and aliens. That's the truth. The radical autonomy of our culture versus the humble servant spirit of a slave. Slaves work to please their masters, not themselves. Our culture tells you you can have what you want now. And what's more? You can not only have it now, you deserve it. A doulos attitude in the slave of Christ delays, defers our wants and sometimes even our needs for the sake of serving the master. Jim wrote in the doulos principle, once a believer grasps the doulos principle, he immediately has a whole new perspective on God and life. The doulos principle begins to mold his every thought and emotion. When we are slaves of Christ, our desire is to do the Master's will. We learn His will through His Word. When we are slaves of Christ, we readily acknowledge that any talent, any gifting I have, any possession, it's not mine. It's His. They are provided by Him. They belong to Him. They are for His use as He pleases. Think of that the next time your car breaks down. You might wonder why God would choose to spend his money to fix your car, which actually belongs to him anyway because he provided it, when he could just as easily keep it from breaking down, right? But it's his money. It's his money, it's his car, and he can choose to spend it however he chooses for his purposes. And there's an instance we don't always understand his purposes, right? Jesus' slaves accept that life's experiences are part of the training program of the Master. They're carefully designed to help us learn, to help us grow. Our Master ordains both the circumstances of our lives and the results of our service to Him. Here's a tough statement to wrap our minds around. We have... We are in America. The bland of the home of the free and the brave, right? We have no rights. We have no rights. A slave has no rights in himself. The only rights that a slave has are the ones that the master grants him or her. That's why Jim Grinnell has and does things that he has and Dave Troutman doesn't. 
That's why Dave has and does things that Steve Sperber doesn't. That's why Paul Bergard has and does things that Steve Staub doesn't. The master has planned and purposed different things for different people by his own sovereign choice. There's a message called, Others May and I Cannot. Anybody remember that? You've heard that. Several of us have heard that before. Uh, We've looked at it before even from this pulpit. It's too long to read the whole thing this morning. And I can get you a copy of the whole thing if you're interested. But let me read just a few paragraphs that reflect the ideas that we're exploring together this morning. Others will be allowed to succeed in making great sums of money or having a legacy left to them or in having luxuries. But God may supply you only on a day-to-day basis because he wants you to have something far better than gold, a helpless dependence on him and his unseen treasury. The Lord may let others be honored and put forward while keeping you hidden in obscurity because he wants to produce some choice, fragrant fruit for his coming glory, which can only be produced in the shade. If you absolutely sell yourself to be his slave, he will wrap you up in a jealous love and let other people say and do many things that you cannot. Settle it forever. You are to deal directly with the Holy Spirit. He is to have the privilege of tying your tongue or chaining your hand or closing your eyes in ways which others are not dealt with. However, know this great secret of the kingdom. When you are so completely possessed with the living God that you are in your secret heart pleased and delighted over this peculiar, personal, private, jealous guardianship and management of the Holy Spirit over your life, you will have found the vestibule of heaven the high calling of God. Isn't that good? Doesn't that say what we're looking at this morning? This reality of the master's control of the life of the slave impacts everything. It impacts our sphere of service or ministry. It impacts the results of our service, our provision, our possessions, our health, our strength, all of our abilities, and our attitude and response is to be a servant. It's to be a slave. We're to serve him diligently. We're to serve him without seeking approval from others, only seeking that approval that we will get from him when we meet him face to face and he says, well done, good and faithful slave. The truth is, we often run from this reality because, hey, as we've noticed, it's hard. We're like slaves who escaped a master but the master keeps pursuing us. There's some archaeological evidence that some slaves in Roman times wore collars that they couldn't remove, and these collars had an inscription on them, and that inscription read, Capture me, for I am fleeing. In both Rome and early America, slaves were forced to wear such collars. Let's be honest with ourselves. Could words like that be part of our experience as slaves of Christ? always fleeing, always rebelling in our flesh against the practical realities, the real outworking, the real life things that it means for us to be a slave. How hard it is, what he asks of us. We flee his compassion. We flee what we see as his unreasonable demands. We flee his commandments, his ownership of us. Someone or something 
has to keep sending us back to the master to keep recapturing our imaginations so that we can appreciate the paradoxical freedom of slavery. But the reality is, is that we are all slaves. Everyone in this room this morning is a slave. The only question is whose slave will you be? Either we are slaves of sin, slaves of this world, slaves of our own selfish desires, or we are slaves of Christ, and consequently, we are slaves of righteousness. We read in Joshua about that choice we all have. Choose this day whom you will serve. Joshua 24, verses 14 and 15. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So thinking again here briefly about the two reasons that this morning's message is a dangerous message. First of all, it goes against the standards of not just our secular culture, but even some segments of our Christian culture. But isn't that what the Word of God so often does? Think about it. It's living and active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates. It convicts. It changes. It molds and shapes us. It shapes us into the image and likeness of God. And Jesus was the Word made flesh, God in the flesh, and He became a slave to serve God's purposes of redemption, to save us, to redeem us from the slavery to sin and death, that awful curse that we were all under. Jesus was purchased too, like a slave for 30 pieces of silver. And he went to the cross, a slave's death. Crucifixion was a slave's death, and he did it willingly. So yes, it's not a popular message. It's not an easy message. It's not the kind of thing you'll see on church billboards. Come be a slave. Anybody see that on the way to church this morning anywhere? I don't think so. Also, I thought this might be a dangerous message this morning because I'm preaching the message contained in the book of a guy who's sitting here with us. But this is not Jim's message. This is the Word of God, which I hope we've demonstrated in just a small way here this morning. This is our relationship with the one who bought us with a price. And the price was his own blood. So while I may have first learned this from Jim, I was also a Berean. Remember the Bereans? They searched the scriptures to see if what the apostles said was true. So I searched the scriptures after I read the Dulos Principle, seeing if what Jim said in the Dulos Principle was true. And it is. It's true. I am not my own. I am bought with a price. I am a slave of Christ. And I've found that enslavement to Jesus Christ brings a better freedom. I want to be a slave like those who were named in Roman times. There's ancient inscriptions that reveal that there were two very popular slave names in Roman times. One was Philo Despates, and one was Philo Kyrios. Both of those names could be translated master lover or lover 
of the master. Clearly, they were popular names because they were the names that were given by the masters to the slaves when they were newly purchased. And those slaves didn't get to choose their names or their identity. But I do. I do. I get to choose my name. I get to choose my identity. But there are still days when I still struggle with my identity as a slave of Christ. I'm guessing that most of us here do too. Even though that struggle exists, I want to be known as Philo Kyrios. I want to be known as Philo Despotis, the lover of the master, my master, Jesus Christ. Michael Card wrote in his book, A Better Freedom, imagine the disturbing clarity that would fall on the church if the question, do I like it or do I feel like doing it, simply disappeared. What would the church look like if we returned to the lowliness of mind of the slave? Not what does the world desire or need, not what would attract the most people, but only what does the master command. The slave parables of Jesus teach us that beyond all doubt, the master is not a hard man, but rather one of immeasurable mercy, someone who cancels million-dollar debts with the wave of his hand. He is the master who dresses himself to serve and wash the feet of his slaves. He is the one who is willing to suffer and die with and for his servants. But finally, it must be said, he is a Lord who expects simple, trusting obedience, not based on wage or reward, but simply on the knowledge of who our master is. Who does not long to be in the service of of such a Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, our heart is full this morning, even as we consider the reality that we are indeed slaves of Christ. When we are in Christ, we belong to you. We're not our own. We are bought with a price. Father, we also recognize that we struggle with this truth. We struggle with this truth and all that it means in our daily lives and how difficult our lives are sometimes. But, Father, we want to be lovers of the Master. We want to be those who love you and serve you and follow you obediently and wholeheartedly all the days of our lives. And we know, Father, that we cannot do this in and of ourselves. This doesn't happen naturally. It doesn't come naturally to us, but it does come supernaturally by your grace at work in our lives. So we ask for that grace this morning, Lord. We ask for that grace that you would help us, Father God, to be lovers of the master, obedient, serving you because we are not our own and we are bought with a price. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.